Hello, and welcome to We Welcome Your Teams, a podcast about one of the most unique jobs in sport, football stadium announcers. It's just the highest honour you could have without putting on the shirt. I was flying back for every home game. Brandon came over and said, just read what you've read out again. And I was oh my God. Number 40, making its debut, Salt and Pepper Tofu. I'm saying, come on, get off the pitch, you bam bots, come on. My uh, office at the time was actually a shed. I'll say, you know who I am? And they look at me, no. So I stand there and go, there'll be two minutes of added time. And at that point, I'm in, I'm any words. Hi there, my name's Rich Hurst, and for the last few years I've been the announcer at the Hawthorns at West Bromwich Albion. And in this podcast, I thought I'd introduce you to the other people behind the voices you hear at football stadiums every week, simply to share the amazing things they've seen and the reason we love the job we get to do. Because clubs can have millions of fans, hundreds of staff, squads full of players and large groups of coaches, but only one person gets to go on the mic at five minutes to kick off and welcome the teams onto the pitch. It's what I call the 255 moment. And as fans who get a unique kind of access to their beloved clubs, we've certainly got stories to tell. So if you've ever wondered what kind of person wants that job in football, how do they end up actually getting it, and what it feels like when it all goes wrong in front of thousands of people, you're in the right place. But before we start, I'm going to do what every stadium announcer does and pop off for the traditional 10 minutes hanging around the tunnel, hoping to get a fist bump off one of the first team. Hello there, and welcome to episode 11 of We Welcome Your Teams. This is the second part of our chat with the legend that is George Sefton, who's stadium announcer at Liverpool. If you missed part one... It was brilliant. We had George talking about the role his wife played in him getting the job. Also talked about him meeting Jurgen Klopp for the first time and why the people of Merseyside had thought he'd passed away three times. I know, it doesn't mean there's a lot to live up to in this second part, but I think we've managed it. Uh, It's myself and voice of Manchester United, Alan Keegan, putting the questions as always. And we talked to George about the manager who wanted to make change to their famous walkout music. Uh, The reason George had to seek out Michael Owen 20 years after a goal he'd scored. And first, after George mentioned it in part one, I wanted to ask him about the toughest part of his role in the last 50 years, dealing with the aftermath of Hillsborough. How did you feel your role was in, 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 you know, the atmosphere and, you know, and being part of that pre-match atmosphere and that kind of stuff? Because that must have been very difficult. It was nigh impossible. But what you, I think what everybody tried to do was try and get back to normal, you know, to just get on with life. It's like, you know, what they say about a pilot who crashes the, best thing for them to do is get up in the air again as soon as possible I think the same thing applied uh, to that, I know I, I wasn't at Hillsborough mm. my son uh, was there because he, I don't like semi-finals I never have done but uh, I organised a ticket for him and his mates and his mates to dance so he had um, he had somebody to take him he was only 15 at the time and so 
he went. Um, he was described by somebody from West Midlands Police as the luckiest boy alive because he was in Levings Lane. People all around him were killed and he got out in one piece. Um, but I know, the, I think the first match, uh, first local game after that was the Derby. Goodison, and I took him to that. Um, deliver, and we went out and we way to get tickets because that's the you know, I wanted him back watching football. Otherwise, I thought, you know, he'll, he'll get into um, the situation where he won't want to go near the football stadium ever again. And it, it worked a treat. He was, he was really good. He was, he coped so well. And um, that was, I think that was the attitude prevalent amongst around the club. You know, we'd, we'd mm. in one sense, they were doing what they, they could behind the scenes for the families and whatever. They worked their mm. socks off for me. Obviously, you know, you know the way Kenny Dalgleish um, carried himself during that time, going to all the funerals and, and whatever. Um, but I, I was on the pitch. Liverpool you know, gritted their teeth and got on with the football and went on. Obviously, won the FA Cup, didn't we, just after that. Mm. Um, and that... It kept on until the last game of the season when Arsenal beat us at Anfield and took the league title off us. At which point you could see everybody sort of running out, literally running out of steam. And then we had the, the close season and um, just tried to get life back to normal as best we could. Yeah. But that was that was it. And, uh, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot on you know. I think probably people don't realise maybe it's quite a lot on your shoulders there. Oh yeah to read the mood right you know and it's and it's something you know that there is that there is that element of the job sometimes with yeah. us. we can be there for the incredible moments and play john lennon after barcelona and all that kind of stuff but we we, we sometimes maybe a little less nowadays because of control from above and all that kind of stuff but in those sort of times it's a lot of it's down to you a lot is on your shoulders to read the mood and get it right absolutely and then you know i think touch will get it right most of the time but i mean uh, i suppose a lot of it is you know, you're on autopilot nowadays because you've been doing this so long, especially lately with the, you know, with no crowd in the, in the, mm. the ground. That's that's been the, the weirdest of all, you know, for just for, for physical reasons because the, you know, you've you've got to uh, stupid little things like you've got to keep the music low instead of pumping the volume up. You've got to we we decided as a club, I think, just to count carry on as near to normal as we could so we mm -hmm. play the music um you know and the, they line up before the game the whole shooting match alan you're going to the same thing i suppose um yeah um, yeah, yeah we, we we are george and yeah. I, I mean it's similar as well even particularly with the champions league games as well yeah. because as you know they run so tightly into oh, yes. right to the second with the walk-on music and then you've got the well, what would have been the handshake music and different yeah. things like that, it, it is a very surreal situation in an empty stadium that holds big crowds like Anfield and, and all around the country. You know, it's a very surreal experience. George, I just want to jump on a couple of questions for you as well. And you've been absolutely brilliant with your answers and thank you for being so upfront and honest. But we've all made our mistakes during the time of being a stadium announcer and yeah. what stands out for you is there a couple that stand out where you you've dropped oh, a clanger <laughs> touch wood not many but my the first one that springs to mind i said to you a few minutes ago we never used to announce goal scorers but the first night we did um i've forgotten who we were playing but 
Michael Owen scored two goals, and I announced you know, goal scorer to Michael Owen. Then, just on the stroke of half time, I leaned over, reached under my desk to pick up a CD, ready to bung it on half time. And Nicky, um, there was an all, almighty roar. Liverpool had scored, and I looked up, and everybody was hovering around Nicky Barnby, you know, hugging and patting him on the back and all the rest of it. So I, I assumed that he'd uh, he'd scored the goal, and I announced that. And then several people came in to tell me, "No, it was Michael Owen's hat trick." So I, I did it. I I just bit the bullets and said, "You know, turn the music off." And so I'm very sorry. That was Michael's goal. And I, I saw Michael a few months ago at uh, his book launch over on the Whittle. And uh, that was the first time I had a chance to apologise to him in person. He thought that was hilarious, but uh, I didn't at the time. And then things like Peter Crouch's first goal. Uh, when he came to us, he had a sort of lean spell. He couldn't score a goal to save his life. And then I remember, yeah, yeah. And then he he scored against Wigan, and I announced him as a goal scorer. Uh, and I hadn't seen it was one of these things where that there was a cluster of people around the ball. And I thought, who I'm shouting to people, who got that goal? Who got, and somebody said it was an own goal. And I, I looked at the TV monitor, and everybody but everybody was was uh, slapping Peter on the back and you know shaking his hand or whatever. And there's set a smile as wide as the Mersey. So I turned the microphone on and said, Liverpool's goal scorer, Peter Crouch. And then people started coming in and saying, no, it wasn't. It was an own goal by the keeper. Uh, but I said, well, look, I don't care because it it, risen, it raised the whole place, the whole the atmosphere in the ground physically changed because everybody was so pleased to think he'd scored at long run. And then about a month later, the Dubious Goals panel awarded it to Peter Crouch, who I was right, that was nice. <laughs> Smug smile of the, way, of the year that week, you're telling me. Yeah, too right. Great call. We, uh, we, we, I know you mentioned before about music and tunes and everything else, yeah. and I wanted to ask you about your role in curating the music. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I know things changed. We get you know close to modern times, but but uh, something twigged me when you said right at the start that you went off and signed a deal with a record shop. Well, yeah. To make sure you had music coming in, you know, yeah. and and that sort of taking pride in, you know, if we're going to have music, we're going to have the right stuff, and we're going to have the good stuff. Oh, so yeah. what's that? What's that been like? Um, it's been quite interesting over the years. I mean, it's changed in the last few years. Since I I don't have to work for a living full-time anymore, I take a lot more time getting music together. I have several sources of input. Um, first things first, I've got a reputation for paying local bands for the first time, which I'm very proud of. Hmm. Um, people like the Coral and the Zootons, for instance, I was the first guy to give them airtime. Nice. And um, still, pe still people go on about Atomic Kitten, who <laughs> mm, I, they they did a uh, public appearance at Anfield, December nineteen ninety eight, the first their first record, and that was that was weird because I afterwards we were all chatting in the. Um, main stand reception when somebody turned up with the news that their this song they just sung at half time at Anfield had actually burst into the top ten. Actually watching their faces then was something 
quite unique. You never, it's the sort of thing you never get to see. Mm. But um, then obviously I keep my eye on the current charts, although the input from the current current charts, the, you know, I'm, I get a bit uh, iffy with sometimes. That's just an age thing, I think. But um, I've got a, you can imagine I've got a monumental CD collection here after all these years. So I, I pick and choose. Um, I take a lot of interest in things like uh, Later with Jules Holland on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got an arrangement with a promotions company in London who who send me a lot of new stuff. I'll just keep my ears peeling and you know and, and listen to what's going on and try and get a balance between um, all sorts of age groups and try and keep everybody happy. Obviously the uh, I think the average age of people at Liverpool now is in the thirty five to forty range. So they're big fans of eighties music. Mm-hmm. Uh, which suits me fine. We are, yeah, um, we are. And there are other things that crop up. Obviously, you know, every season there's a new song that people latch on to. Um, I mean, a couple of years ago, it was Three Little Birds you know, by Bob Marley, which we were playing all the time. And I remember, I think it was 2005 when um, the year we went through to, to Istanbul, that People came home from the away game in Bayer Leverkusen. Several different people, from the chairman down to some passing fans, and they were playing "Rocking All Over the World" by Status Quo before the game. And <laughs> um, give it a try. So that that got stuck for a while, and then um, the current one is "Thunderstruck" by ACDC. Somebody suggested oh, to me a couple of years wow. ago. So I bang that on now. Yes. After my, the pitch side announcer reads the teams out nowadays, not me. But after he's done that, I'll always bang that on. I mean, it's it sounds a bit limp in an empty stadium at lower volume, but when the crowd's in, that really yeah. sets the the tone for while the time the teams come out. So, I'm, and um, and again, I'm still I get a lot of people um, from new unsigned bands will will send me their stuff to play and i'd always try my best luckily for whatever reason nowadays 99 percent of it is really really good and i'll I'll bang it on and i'll Uh uh, in the era of remember in the 80s when everybody suddenly had uh, cassette recorders in their bedroom (laughs) i started getting this absolute garbage sent to me (laughs) experimental unbelievably awful you know, sounded <laughs> like a young kid in the bathrooms. You know, that I, I don't know why, because now, as I say, everybody who's anybody has got a little studio somewhere in the, the garden shed or something. The, the quality yeah. is is um, is tremendous. I know <clears throat> that go, can go wrong sometimes. I mean, I, I think it was the season before last. I got an email off this guy I didn't know. He said, I'm managing this new band. Uh, this is their new single. Have a listen and see what you think. And I, I had a listen. I thought, hey, that's good. You know, good classic stadium rock. I said, I'll give that a go. And I said, I'll play it next weekend. So I did. And on the Monday, he said, oh, thank you. That's so good of you. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Great. Smashing. And then on the Monday, he sent me a really nasty email saying, I thought you were going to play our tune on Saturday. And I said, well, I did. And he said, well, 
No, I sat there right through half time and I didn't hear it. And I said, Well, no, I played it 20 to 3. Mm. I said, I played music for two solid hours before kickoff. Yeah. And people sometimes they recoil when I say that, but they just didn't know. There was a hardcore who will sit there for course. a couple of yeah. hours and listen. Um, that are in from the open doors. Yeah, of course. They are. And. Um, you know, I, I know, especially newcomers, if you're at Anfield for the first time, you you want to take in the whole thing. You know, I know yeah. people will, will get them through the gates as soon as they open and sit in the terraces and uh, you know read their programme and listen to me and whatever. Um, not as many as used to, but as I say, obviously, there are nice, warm, cosy bars and lounges to go in nowadays. But um, yes. I'm still doing it. I still like it. And, uh, yeah. It, it takes some. It takes some getting together, though. Too right. Nowadays, of course, it's all download. Although I must admit, mm-hmm. if if I can get hold of a, a CD, I'd much rather have a CD. But again, that's an age thing, you know. And, uh, I, I like to have something physical I can get my hands on. Although I do, as I say, between games now, I'll I'll build a little folder on this computer. Um, and then you know, time it, edit it, and, and all the rest of it. I'm getting them downloaded onto a memory stick and take it, it with me. It's crazy. We can, you know, looking back years, I've, I've down to my right here. I've got um, an old-fashioned record case that used to put twelve-inch singles in. Mm. And the, you know, I, I always say when I I start, and I I had one arm longer than the other. You know, hiking <laughs> all these big boxes of vinyl into into Anfield and nowadays you've got a memory stick that's an inch and a half long with your shoe is yeah. pocket and it's a, a lot easier to lose though yes I did actually lose uh, I think it was last season I was on my way to the game luckily I always carry a, a duplicate just in case oh, okay. uh, you have to and, yeah. um, the panic otherwise the yeah, panic I, spreads I quickly stopped, stopped at the garage halfway from here to Anfield uh, filled it with petrol <clears throat> and I thought well, I'll hoover up the car while I'm at it and show his eggs one of the memory sticks went up the, the garage hoover and disappeared. <laughs> but uh, that taught me a valuable lesson. Nowadays, I put them on a lanyard around my neck. There you is, go. Uh, looks yeah, silly, but it the trick. You see, happens to the best of us. Important things going up the hoover. Uh, more with George to come on this episode 11 of We Welcome Your Teams. It's only right, though, that if this is your first experience of the podcast, uh, I'll point you back to some of the previous episodes to go and check out. In episode nine, uh, we had Liam Brown from Wigan Athletic talking about getting caught out uh, by a wind-up number plate announcement. Uh, back in episode seven, uh, Rich Goulding from Birmingham City recording the time he got to go to Wembley and announce when the Blues had their incredible day that they beat Arsenal in the League Cup final. And right back on episode two, Colin Carter from Carlisle United uh, remembering trying to hold it hold it all together uh, on the day that their substitute goalkeeper Jimmy Glass scored an injury time winner to keep them up and stop them dropping out of the football league it's incredible and the, the worst thing about this is I didn't actually notice until about five minutes later until the groundsman came over and said they've, no. they've really done you there and I said what do you no. mean he said, he said just read what you've read out again and I said oh my god oh. literally ran to Wembley uh, went into this room where um this man, Alan Keegan, was sat with the rest of the guys from Event uh, 360. I sat down and I, he could tell 
I was nervous. Uh, it doesn't matter if I had eight points. I was nervous. And Alan put his arm around me and he went, don't worry, I'll look after you. When you've got good, good people around you that want you to do well and people, you know, want want success, it breeds and it feeds. And if you, you motivate in that feed, you know, then, you, you know, your energy and your energy level for your club, you know, it, 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 there's nothing better than atmosphere. Plenty of those guys and more uh, in the rest of the feed. Right, back to our chat with George Sefton of Liverpool now. And we're talking about who chooses the music and whether the team ever get a say? Well, yes, strange to, in, to relate. Um, there was a spell ooh, a few years ago, some bright spark in, uh, I think it was the club offices or the TV, club TV station, had this idea about getting fans to pick uh, three tracks from before the game. So they, they had a poll on Twitter. Um, um, the, it didn't work out in the end. I was slightly agreed because obviously I, I've, I'm very precious about my playlist. But uh, it was it was okay for a while. But then people got slightly bored with it. And what they were doing, they were making, they were using this poll on Twitter to come out with a short list. But then somebody in the club offices uh, picked from the short list, who so it ended up. Uh, I think it was Paradise by Coldplay I was playing every week and it kind of defeated the object because the object in the first place was to pick sort of inspirational music that, you know, something that had set the crowd going or whatever and it just, it just sort of died to death. But then uh, when we went back this year uh, for Project Restart in June, wasn't it? May, June. Yeah. Uh, somebody suggested it might be nice seeing it was behind closed doors if I played a couple of tunes that uh, the players like so you know, while it was on while they were warming up and I thought well that's, that's a good idea fine thinking I might get two or three to bung in the middle of my playlist but before long I was being sent a playlist which lasted about an hour um, and considering that nowadays, during the behind closed doors, I don't start playing music until 45 minutes before kickoff, because uh, all the TV interviews are being done out in the open air because they can't use the back corridors and the press area and the mix zone where they normally do it. Um, and then it graduated from that to. Uh, somebody ringing me up saying, what's that song you're playing? It's not on my playlist. And I'm thinking, well, hang on. This is my playlist, not your playlist. I mean, yeah. it's it's sort of come to a head the last couple of weeks. And uh, I think I've won the battle at the moment. Um, because I know even now people can hear in the background when they're watching their TVs what's being played. And, and people will, will message me and say, what's that rubbish? Or oh, nice to hear you still playing so and so, so and so. It's um, it's quite it's it's quite odd. But I mean, my attitude is quite simple. I mean, you know, I I do my bit, and everybody else does their bit. I mean, the players, you know, I'm not entirely sure the players can hear what's going on most of the time. Sometimes they can, but uh, especially on you know when the place is full, they're they're, they're warming up. They their eyes should be on the ball, not. You know, they shouldn't be listening to what I do. They, they play your song before, you know, like two yeah. hours before kickoff or something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky oh, one. Because, 
some of the cool. stuff I'm getting is, is stuff that, as I said to my wife, it's the sort of stuff you'd be listening to at four o'clock in the morning in a in a nightclub when you had too much to drink. It's certainly not. <laughs> um, it's certainly not my cup of meat at all. But then I'm, I say, I'm just an old grouch. But um, I, I think I, I'm quite confident in my own musical taste. They're very eclectic, but they've got to be to do the job you do because they're. When the, the crowd is in the place, you've got you know kids of five and, and old guys of ninety-five. You've got to try and keep everybody happy as best you can. I heard uh, I heard a rumor somewhere that Rafa Benitez had some influence in the timing of "You'll Never Walk Alone." Yes, well, so I was told um, during his time. I got a message one day to say that. We were going to play You Never Walk Alone uh, after the teams came out, and which is the opposite of what we've been doing all these years. Uh, mm. We used to play it as soon as the teams were read out and then play something else until kickoff time. But Rafa decided that he thought it was a good idea to, to have it while the, the teams were out on the pitch. Um, at the time, I was a bit dubious but i thought obviously you know uh, that's what he wants that's what he gets he's the boss and then after he left i did inquire were we still going to carry on and somebody somewhere had a meeting and decided yes we were and now it's actually set in stone i get a running order mm. um which you, you know you're aware of as well as um, in the old days we used to get a running order just for European games, but now we get a running order for every single every game. game. And the rule yeah. is that uh, you play this, you know, the handshake music when the teams are lining up. And as soon as the handshakes are finished, bang on, you'll never walk alone, which is great most of the time, except more than once, you know, the teams have been 30 seconds late coming out and uh, you'll never walk alone. It's crashed into kickoff time. It, uh, doesn't happen very often now. It did. Uh, I know. I, I I used to say that I'd have I'd be watching TV monitor, and I'd see the teams lining up in the tunnel. I'd be thinking, "Come on, we get out. We get out on yeah. the pitch." Yeah. Um, and um, it's yeah, it is. I know that. I know the feeling just yeah. because you know the way. If it, when we know when we orchestrate it and we get it right, yeah. it's brilliant, and people just take that as the given That's atmosphere. Right. It's so good and all that kind of stuff. But when some little element in there somewhere mm. stops it, I think we feel a little bit of a. Oh yeah, I don't know. There's a little bit of a thing there, isn't there? Like no, I know, no, I know when we used. We used to run stuff at West Brom before the players walk out the tunnel. We used to try and run a bit of um, I think it's O Fortuna, mm. and. It was never long enough. No, no. But I mean, I know one when we first started playing that handshake music. Um, I know one particular game. The teams were out so late. I thought there's not time to play the handshake music, and you never walk alone. And mm. um, I thought I'm going to lose something. So I'm losing the handshake music because I, if I don't play, you never walk alone. It'll be riots. Yeah. I got monumental earache on the Monday. Um, apparently the club were fined by the league for not playing their handshake music. And, um, I'm sure I'm sure they happily paid it, though, just because you had to get your never walk alone. Well, I, I wonder sometimes, but I, I did actually say to some of the senior at the club, look, you never walk alone runs 2 minutes 38 seconds. 
the handshake music is 43 seconds mm. that's a total of what three minutes 20 seconds roughly and if the team's only come out two and a half minutes before kickoff something's got to give what am i supposed to do and nobody ever came out with a satisfactory answer i mean uh, i know many years when we were first in the champions league i think the other second or third season i got dragged into a meeting um after a game um and i was you know there was about eight or nine people around the table with me and they, they, it was convened just to give me a good kicking and somebody said look yeah, we've been told had a complaint that you played um the champions league anthem 30 seconds late and oh. they're waiting for me to start coming up with excuses and i say yes that's right and they looked at me horrified and they said well you admit it i said yes i said the rule is you know which i got from uefa some time ago and has not changed that i bung that music on as soon as the last player is lined up standing to attention facing the the, the uh, director's box and that's what i did last night as it happened pepe reina was the keeper in those days and he was a beggar for you know he's always the last out he'd always jog out behind the rest of them and he'd always stop and look for his his family in the crowd and wave and then go and line up so he was always late it didn't matter much <laughs> come on pepe i've got music yeah well, i did we heard what i was calling him with the microphone turned people in the balloon brilliant stuff you can just imagine it can't you Rainer taking his time to come out you know stretching getting his towel together looking around having a wave and all that and George sitting in the PA room absolutely spitting feathers uh, one last chat with George still to come uh, but before that a quick reminder of where to find us on social media as a few of you have recently including Scott who does the job at Air United and Robbie Clegg who does it at Chester City hello gents uh, with the details on how to do it here is our own Alan Keegan Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to find out the ways you can get in touch with the podcast. Number one, Twitter. Follow us at AnnouncersPod. Number two, Instagram. Find us by search. We welcome your team's pod. Number three, Spotify. Our playlist of different clubs, walkout songs, which is updated after each new guest. Thank you for your support today. Now it's back to the podcast. Voice of Old Trafford there, Alan Keegan. Thank you very much, Al. Right, on to the final part of our final episode of this season of the podcast. Although I should point out, we are back in early 2021, though. Just having a bit of a festive break, uh, which is something that all stadium announcers never get. Uh, George Sefton Liverpool is our guest, and it's time to talk about how his 255 moment looks and sounds. We always like to ask, yeah. um, just to take us through that your 255 moment. Because we, we feel here it's the it's the pinnacle of our job. It's the the five minutes to kick off thing when you know that's when we come into our own. Everything yeah. we do before and everything we do half time and after we, that that's our unique spot. It's all on us. So just tell us about you know d- describe a little bit if you would your your, your two fifty five moment, how it goes and, and and how you feel every time it happens. Well, nowadays of course it's orchestrated, which is good for me in one way because. You know, the teams trot out. We've got this, whichever level we're at, we're playing this 
um, handshake music or the Champions League anthem while they line up and then hit the button for You'll Never Walk Alone. And even to this day, I must have played it 2,000 times at Anfield. And even now, those the first few bars make the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Mm. And you're watching the crowd you know, stand up and hold their scarves above their head and join in. And it's it's a religious experience. There's nothing short. It's not. Uh, I've said to a few people, it's not a song. It's a hymn, and it it, it unites the whole crowd. And it, it unites Liverpool fans all over the world. So when they, they, they stand up and do that, it's fantastic. And now we always fade it out. There's a point at which the crowd will take over singing a cappella and Jerry Marsden has disappeared into the ether. And that's that's always something to uh, to behold, especially from where I sit looking down at the cop, which is still the heart of the club, obviously. And uh, turn it off and I slump into my chair and think, well, basically, my work is done. Yeah. And, uh, let's just watch the football and hope you know, we get away with it again. Um, I hope uh, I'm I'm, re- I'm really really grateful for you chatting to us today because um, it's just it just uh, you know you're the longest serving person we spoke to on the pod so far, and there is only one other we can speak to about serving longer. Yeah, uh, Peter, Peter at Brentford, uh, uh, Brentford. and yeah. you know he's he's next on the list, but. Um, I think to, to have it, to have you here at the end of this this first season of podcast has been great because it's a real it's a real summary of of stories and experiences that each of us have touched on between the other the other nine yeah. or ten of us that have spoken so far, but none have completed and had had the lot. And and you've really had the lot. And do you know what? I think it makes sense that after these fifty years that you've now been doing it, that you're able to put it into a book form and 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 note it all down because I imagine that experience in itself and thinking back over, over all those stories has been quite something, isn't it? It is. It's been, it's been amazing. You know, it's, uh, it's been very sad in some cases. I've been going through old diaries and trawling through Wikipedia for days on end. And, <laughs> um, and looking back on the, some of the things that have happened good and bad, but, um, I would say that, uh, I was approached about two years ago by a literary agent <clears throat> who said, um, you know, look, you're coming up to 50 years. You must have a book in there. So I said, yeah, great. So I thought about it and then got stuck in. And it's um, it, the, the final manuscript is with the publishers. It's coming out on May the 6th, 2021, if God spares us all. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's on Amazon now. It's um, If you just... Google my name on uh, on Amazon; it will come up there because I know they're they're taking pre-orders and whatever. But I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I'll be really grateful if all the lockdowns and whatever have disappeared by then. But regardless, it'll be out and about, and uh, I'm looking forward to see how that takes off. That would be quite something. And then uh, May will be a quite a big month in our life because I'll be at the end of my 50th season. Um, and I've said to a lot of people, I'm just going to sit back at the end of the season, take stock and see how I feel because obviously 50 is a, you know, is uh, quite something to get to. I never thought I'd get to 50. Um, but you know, I'll, at some time I'm going to have to say, right, that's enough. Uh, but I'm 
I've said I'm not going to make any decisions just yet. I'll just uh, I'll get get through this season wow. and uh, you know, get rid of this this pandemic and then mm. uh, see what happens. So say, say you know things do finally calm down and, and fans are allowed back in yeah. and say again you know Liverpool retain the title. That that presentation day will surely be something. It's going to be something else. It really is. Because I mean. I mean, and especially from your point of view, because of you know the end to last season. Well, uh, I just before lockdown, I was at a dinner where Peter Moore was giving one of his inspirational talks. He's a fantastic speaker, Peter, uh, and he he said that they, he believes that Liverpool have a billion followers worldwide now. Uh, that's quite something. It's quite you know, but then. The night, do with some of them as downloads for this episode, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at the uh, the night we got the trophy, there were three hundred people inside Anfield, of which I was one, of course. And mm. I said, I felt so privileged to actually be there and see that that trophy being lifted. And after all these years of heartache and waiting and near misses and downright, you know bad luck and whatever and just to see that thing being presented uh, at long long last which is so, so special you just can't top it but I'm guessing the only way to top it will be to see it happen again yes. with a packed Anfield you know mm-hmm. and and then, then I know you say about taking stock and everything but with the following season so I'm talking I guess 21-22 yeah is the is the is the capacity not going to be then bigger at Anfield by then? I think it'll be twenty two, twenty three. That's the thing that's you know exercising my brain at the moment because I think yeah, I'd love to put my feet up. Then I thought it'd be really nice to do my thing in front of sixty one, sixty two thousand people, which mm. I've never done. Well, not at Anfield. I mean, the, uh, I would I always tell people when I do I do a lot of. Or at least I did until recently. Did a lot of talking to sort of lunch clubs and things. And I always mm. the most people I've ever stood up in front of and spoken to was eighty four thousand at Wembley in nineteen ninety five, mm. um, which was a, a really surreal experience. Being stood in the middle of the pitch at Wembley. You know I was going to say there must have been times when you 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 did that obviously because we spoke to a few announcers. We spoke to Richard Birmingham recently who yeah. went to go for the League Cup final when Birmingham beat Arsenal um so you've obviously had a few, you know experiences like that where you when you've gone and do done that I suppose that's that's a different kettle of fish again isn't it it is it it's you know I never ever thought in a million years I'd be standing in the middle of the pitch at Wembley under any circumstance and there I am doing it and I I remember taking stock and I, I was very excited but I took a deep breath and just took it all in. I thought, this is probably never going to happen again. I'm just, you know, I took the long way around when I had to go out of the stadium around to where I was sitting for the game. And I just walked slowly and looked at the crowd and looked at the tunnel and I, you know, uh, went past the dressing room with the whole shooting match. I'm just, you know, took it all in. I thought, this, this is something so special and so surreal. And uh, it'll be, you know, it's a happy memory. Well, obviously, it still is. Mm. And, and I suppose you know there've been there've been finals 
all over the place as far as Liverpool concerned. Did you do the same thing with those where you went and, uh, and I, did, um, just I went Wembley? to um, two or th- well, no, three or four European finals. Um, um, the last one I did was in Dortmund in two thousand and one, uh, and then they they took me to the Super Cup in Monaco in two thousand and one. That was something else too, um, <laughs> but. When it got to 2005 in Istanbul, um, UEFA suddenly decided they they didn't need the stadium announcers there anymore. So that was the end no, of, of, of all the games. Of to all not the games, be able to yes. do the... I was, uh, again, that's a story in the book. I was really, really devastated. I didn't get Whoa. to Istanbul at all. And people, people assumed I was there. And I said, no, I wasn't. Um, oh. But uh, there you go. Those the... Uh, it's just it's the way of the world at the moment. Highs and lows, the highs and lows. George, listen, it's been a real pleasure listening to you. I could listen to you all day, mate. And we don't talk enough, mate. I know we communicate, but we don't chat enough on a one-to-one. No, no, when, when, when all this is over and life returns, no, we'll have to have that coffee we've been promising. Definitely, George. I look forward to it. And uh, we've absolutely loved listening to you. And hopefully we can do it soon again in the future. Good luck, George, and take care. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, boys. We'll speak soon, OK? Cheers. Cheers, indeed. A huge thank to George for taking the time out for us on the podcast. Uh, his book, by the way, is coming out in May 2021, when this crazy season is all over, uh, by which time I sincerely hope all stadium announcers are back doing what they love on the touchline to full capacity crowds. Uh, I want to thank you so much for listening to this first season. I'm absolutely made up with the support uh, from Alan at Man United and all the other announcers uh, who've been on for a chat so far. Technically, that is 10 down and just 82 to go. That's just in the main football leagues. Looking forward to loads more stories from behind the tannoys at football clubs right up and down the pyramid. And this Christmas, I ought to say, please do spare a thought for your local stadium announcer who, without anyone or huge crowds to announce to, may need to start announcing people in other situations, maybe Christmas dinner table. Please welcome the Sprouts. Also, give a big welcome to the Parsnips. Now, entering the dining room, give it up for Auntie Joan. And sitting opposite me, it's my girlfriend. And head of the table, Here's your carver. It's Dad. It's going to be a long few weeks. Thanks for listening. See you in 2021.